Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. It's some unexpected things happened in yesterday's show. I didn't think Yesco was going to come on here and, and do all of his uh, shit coinery. That, that was really disappointing. Yeah, it took such a crazy turn. I was there clapping too. He was talking about like, you know, the web protocol stack. And I was like, yeah, he did it pretty well. He was like talking about it. It was like near and dear to my heart. And then all of a sudden this web three thing happened. I was, <laughs> it was funny to watch. Don't blame me, fellas. I just asked the question. Well, it's like, Peter, I don't know what it was, man. You triggered something in the soul of the man where it's just unleashed the shitcoin floodgates. And it's just like for the next five minutes, it was a shitcoin rampage. You should have seen the freaking Swan team slack, man. Corey was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know you know what was funny was the first part of that question about about China was he was he was on fire talking about about what was going on with China. And then I was looking for an event, you know, some kind of thing that's going to trigger this, you know, the next thing that we're not looking at that he's looking at that's going to trigger, you know, um, an explosion in in adoption of Bitcoin. And yeah, you know, Jack, you guys probably saw the tweet that Jack Dorsey put out the other day about, you know, talking about ETH and about, you know, at least one attack vector, whatever. And then um, um, Jeff Booth, you know, responded basically that, yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs are going to be, um, you know, really um, finding out the hard way, right, that they've invested all this money on top of the, of the ETH platform. And they can't ever get it out, right? I had a guy come to me the other day at Swan, started up a Swan account. He's got a huge amount of money locked up in Ethereum because apparently the the fees, the gas fees, just to get it out are stupid. And he doesn't want to pay them. And so he's basically being held hostage by Ethereum. It's really twisted. Much Much less if you staked uh, your Ethereum for ETH2 or whatever they're fucking doing. You, people can't get out of that either until they actually come out with that product and it just keeps getting pushed another six months. Yeah, there's much fuckery afoot. Don't like it. But hey, I hear BSV is down to eight nodes. <laughs> Looking real good out there. That's because uh, I, I there was a one I was was it about a month no about two weeks ago somebody said they're done with BSV and I think I tweeted oh now there's only fifty eight of them. That's hilarious. 
Who's that one dude that like uh, tries to lure everybody into discussing BSV? Like, it's so funny. Heck, Hector, I think, Hector. one of them. Yeah, he challenged me to a debate on BSV, and I'm thinking, why the fuck would I want to talk to you about BSV? Oh, my goodness. He's horrible, too. He's one of those guys that that frames questions in such a way that any answer that you, you know, any honest answer is going to paint you into this logic corner that is, you know, it's, it's, he relies on people answer, answering honestly so that he can paint them into a corner. Everyone shits on BSV, right? But everyone forgets the free coins they got from that. You know, I, I just, I got a whole bunch of real Bitcoin from BSV, so I, I try and see the positive from it. Nice lasers, Noodle. Thank you. I, I haven't had a compliment on my lasers for a while. Thank you. Man, I wasn't around back then. I didn't have I didn't have Bitcoin during that fork, so I didn't get any from the BSV fork. I mean, it was dangerous. None, none it, it's always dangerous. Because you, you know, in terms of trying to access those four coins, you you got to know what you're doing, and 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 with certain apps and software, you got to trust them, etc. But you know, once you you sweep a, a private key, you then got to transfer any of the funds, you know, onto another wallet, etc. But at the end of the day, same with you know Bitcoin Cash, it, it's free Bitcoin. I dumped that shit the second I had the opportunity. Bitcoin SV was a fork of Bitcoin Cash, if I recall correctly. So. If, if you had dumped your Bitcoin cash the minute you got it, you never had any opportunity to dump the SV. You dumped you dumped the whole lot, um, which I did as well the, the day that uh, Bitcoin cash came out. Uh, just a minor historic detail. So, so, so I held on to my Bitcoin cash for a, I can't remember how long I kept on for it, but I didn't dump it straight away because you know things were very very sort of strange at that time and no one you know i i knew that it wasn't gonna gonna beat bitcoin but no one knew what was gonna happen then it just got to a certain ratio where i was just like fuck this i'm getting rid of it and and by that time i had you know because i split some of my coins over some paper wallets from, from years ago and, and just did it that way and then you know parted with those coins and and got my there was a whole load of other forks as well some that were just ridiculous you know bitcoin gold bitcoin yeah. diamond bitcoin those were good bollocks. times yeah super bitcoin yeah, I remember that. There was Bitcoin Private. There was I'm trying to. There was Bitcoin United. That one never launched. But yeah, they they were coming up fast and furious, and they were um, they were great free coins if you dumped them and if you held on to them. Well, they're useless now. They're completely abandoned. Some of them continue to get mined. I, I wonder how many of these things actually nobody even mines them anymore, and how many of them just are mined but have next to no value and no security. I remember hearing that Bitcoin gold had been attacked and rolled back like a thousand blocks or something at some point, but it's like, it's four bucks a unit. So who really cares? I'd just love to know um, how much real Bitcoin has Roger Ver still got and how much did he sort of, you know, get rid of for his little pet project? I, I think it was a very expensive project for him. Well. That would be a very, um, a very self-punishing kind of a, a scenario, wouldn't it? Sold all my Bitcoin to support these other projects. Oh gosh, 
Yeah, like th this was very expensive, right? And he went on this tirade. And if you want one of the great examples of uh, what we call Bitcoin derangement syndrome, that's him, right? And you don't see much of him anymore. I think the most recent thing I saw was something like about a month ago, he had persuaded some poor employee at some poor uh, Caribbean island government agency to accept their salary in uh, in Bitcoin cash, which is probably not a very big salary. And Roger Ver is just sitting in the background in that video with a very stern expression as though, as though this thing is serious, you know, and in the meantime, it's not, it's not even worth one one hundredth. It's not even worth like one Bitcoin penny at, anymore. And they were originally talking about it being worth more. It's worth, it's worth eight tenths of a Bitcoin penny right now. So if you multiply the value of BCH by a hundred, you're still at only 80% of where Bitcoin's at. And these two things were allegedly a neck and neck competition. So the free market has spoken and every dollar that he put into Bitcoin cash is worth 0 0.08 of a Bitcoin cent right now, or 0.8 of a Bitcoin cent, 0 0.008 Bitcoin. It's pretty sad, but it's just free market, free choice. Yeah, don't 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 shed it too many tears for him though, because he, he he's he's still worth a lot. He, he's an early investor in in some massive Bitcoin companies, Coinbase being one of them. Um, I forget the others, but I, I know he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. And and actually, the whole Bitcoin psychopath thing. I mean, if if anyone fits the bill for that, it, it's absolutely Roger Ver. He, he's there's something not quite right with that guy. I, I met him at a, an exhibition a few years ago, probably about must have been. 2018 or, or it was probably about six months or or so after bitcoin cash launched i can't remember the exact dates and there's just something very kind of um i can't i, I can't articulate it but but some uh, you, you can't trust the guy he he's like a snake or uh you know snake oil salesman i i don't trust yeah, him the, one bit. the eyes dart left and right there's no eye there's no eye contact there's rage there's there's emotion there's all kinds of all, there's all kinds of manipulation tactics that play out the repetition of certain things over and over, including things that are falsifiable, like provably falsifiable. Don't get Alex started on psychopaths. It's funny though. It's, it's, it's just yeah. interesting seeing these people that were previously like kind of almost heroes in the scene and how quickly they can fall from grace. You know, he, his previous moniker was Bitcoin Jesus. And he literally went from Jesus to Judas in, 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 in a very quick time. And, you know, the, there's others that, that kind of went the same way. Gavin Andreessen, people like Mike Hearn, you know, people that you just don't hear about anymore, but with such kind of in, integral sort of characters within the Bitcoin scene years ago. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, I was going to say, Alex, uh, I was going to ask Tomer a question, but if you want to get started, it, it can it can wait for another time. No, go ahead. It's all all good. right. Okay, Tomer, I don't, I've been thinking about this, and um, this is kind of an Armageddon kind of question, and I know that, you know, we, we, will, we always talk about, um, you know, if there's one node left, that, um, you know, the ledger's safe, and, um, you know, people's coins are safe, and blah, blah, blah. Um, my question is, if if something like that does happen, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a huge number of people who um, probably, there's going to be a huge number of seeds, seed phrases that are lost. 
there's going to be a huge number of keys that are lost in any kind of of event that uh, causes this kind of of um, uh, Armageddon in the world or anything like that. And what I'm wondering is, um, at what level will the network still be able to, not the network, at what level will Bitcoin still be able to be a viable thing if, I mean, how many keys, how many Bitcoin have to be available for this thing to, do you see the question I'm trying to ask? It's hard for me to articulate. Let, let me maybe probe just so that I make sure that I try to answer the right question. You're saying, let's say 99.9% of all the Bitcoins somehow get lost, but the network is still operational. Is that, is, is it effectively defunct because there's just not enough satoshi circulating is that the question yeah and, and at what level at what level does that happen i mean obviously that'll happen at some level zero obviously that happens but at what level would something would 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 that would that be an issue well i mean i i would i, I think that's a very extreme situation you're painting but since we're going to extremes i would say there only needs to be one satoshi in circulation um, because we could we could then soft fork to to divide that one satoshi into twenty one quadrillion new satoshis, and then we'd have twenty one million or two point one quadrillion new satoshis, and we'd have twenty one million hundred million new satoshis, and we'd back to be back to twenty one million bitcoin. The problem then becomes, you know, what's the what's the way to distribute the coins initially if there's only one person holding point one bitcoin. And maybe he comes up with something where he says he will issue them to people who discover the next blocks on a having schedule that happens every four years over every 210,000 blocks. It would kind of be like a, a re-rise of the phoenix from the ashes. But I think it's a really extreme situation you paint because for all for everyone in the world who holds Bitcoin to have their keys erased means every backup in the world, paper backups, pencil backups, memorized backups – are all gone. Well, yeah, and I'm and I'm not talking. I'm not talking about you know good getting down to one Satoshi. I'm just wondering at what point you know because if there's some kind of you know horrible worldwide uh, worldwide event, a, a war for instance, you know a lot of people are going to perish and a lot of those keys are going to get lost. And I'm just kind of yeah. wondering, you know, if anybody's thought about at yeah. what point so here, that becomes an issue. Here, here's what I would do if I was the holder of the last Satoshi. Just to take your your situation to an extreme, I would broadcast. Um, 33 times 210,000 transactions, each one at a different block height. The first one would reward 50 of these new, Sato <laughs> new Satoshis. I, there would need to be a soft fork to recognize this lower denomination. The first 210,000 would each contain 50 of these new ones. The next 200,000 would contain 25 of these new ones. And it would be like a reissuance over a 130-year period uh, with the same block subsidy. And then I would disappear. Question. Tomer, are you yeah. are you saying that it would issue new Bitcoin, or you're what you're saying is just no, moving, I'm just moving, adding, adding more zeros to the right of the decimal place, basically? Yeah, I'm adding, I'm adding more zeros to the right of the decimal place, and I'm issuing, and, and I'm saying like if there was only one, like there, there were originally two point one quadrillion satoshis that were discovered over two hundred and ten thousand blocks times thirty three halvings. So I'm saying out yeah, of inspiration, it makes sense. I would just I would reissue the the existing supply. No, not everybody would. So, but if I help, let's say, I, what's the alternative? If I hold on to that one satoshi, then I, then bit, the Bitcoin can't be used as money anymore because money needs to circulate and it needs to be broadly distributed. And this is why proof of work was the. This is one of the reasons why Satoshi chose proof of work rather than anything else because he needed a fair distribution of the initial two point or twenty one million coins, right? So. 
what better way than whoever works for it gets it? Um, in, yeah, in and, and here's the thing is, is realistically, right, in that kind of a scenario, there would be a user-activated soft fork way before, or there would be a soft fork, I should say, way before we got to the point where there was one Satoshi. Yeah, well, it People happens be- all over. It happens all over night and something. I mean, this is a very contrived scenario, but I think it's it's useful to create these scenarios to ask what happens at the extreme. Um, it's kind of like you know, the Newton's laws of physics work really well until you either get into a black hole or are traveling at the speed of light. So you then have to examine the whole thing. Get these crazy extremes, which we don't really experience every day ourselves. And uh, and so I think Satoshi's rules of Bitcoin are fine until some crazy event like this happens, which it probably never will, but if it did, then then people have to step up and solve the problem at the time. I, I think that there's a lot of these questions. One other thing that I'd say, I'm going to use a fancy word epistemologically, but just like how you can think about a lot of these things is this problem that I'm worried about that might happen in a very extreme and unlikely and very distant future scenario, that's not your problem to solve. That's the problem of the people who live through that problem to solve. And if there's good people at that point in time, they'll come up, they'll come up with a solution. Uh, we don't have to solve every problem and write it down for them right now. Like we, we can't even envision all the different problems that the world will have in the future. Just let, let the people who encounter them resolve them. They're the ones with yeah, skin in the game. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I agree with that. And if each generation, I mean, you know, the interesting thing about that is it reminds me of, um, freedom, you know, the way the United States was formed, basically it was passed on. It's, it's the responsibility of every single generation to make sure the freedom is protected. Cause all it takes is one weak generation. You lose it all. Right. So it's exactly what you're saying. Tomer. you get each generation is responsible. Absolutely. And that's what it means to be human. Very cool. All right, let's dig into some news items. We have a really cool uh, guest today. We're, we've got Start9 coming on. We're going to be talking about Embassy. I was not aware of Embassy prior to this morning when the crew was briefing me on what it was, and it seems really cool. So I'm looking forward to um, digging into that and learning more. A um, lot of great things. Uh, so for tomorrow, we've got Kaboom Racks which is going to be cool. Um, for a long time, I've been wanting to talk to these guys. Kaboom Racks is a great source for miners, by the way, if you didn't know. And then next week, we've got some really cool stuff coming up as well. We've got Tahini's is booked for the show, and then we've got Greg Foss and James Lavish coming on together, which should be absolute fire. I recommend recommend everybody wear their asbestos suits for that episode because that's going to get crazy um and then we've got btc sessions towards the end of the week so pretty exciting stuff you were listening to cafe bitcoin good morning welcome uh we do this every day and we start you know monday through friday we start at 7 a.m pacific 10 a.m eastern we roll for two hours talk about all things bitcoin it is the place to get your morning news on bitcoin it's 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 becoming a preferred hangout for some of the smartest people in bitcoin to just chill talk about what's going on so let's dig into some of the news that we've got going on. Just a quick tidbit before I start getting into headlines. So apparently a judge in Florida basically said that the mandates on the planes, yada, yada, for the masks, et cetera, 
were um, not legal, I guess. I don't know if I'm framing that correctly, but everybody rejoiced. What's that? She specifically said they were overreach. Yeah. So in other words, no one had the authority to do that, right? Uh, So everyone rejoiced, right? I saw videos of people on airplanes as it was being announced, and everybody was like giddy about it. And I mean, part of me is like, that's awesome. But part of me is like, why are you rejoicing over getting supposedly getting your rights back that someone else had no authority to take away in the first place? I mean, instead of rejoicing, shouldn't we be getting after these assholes that are doing this stuff that they have no authority to do? That's my position on it. And then the CDC comes out and they're like, well, we're going to appeal it, man. That's like, I've had about enough of this crap. I don't know about the rest of you guys. You know, unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of accountability in um, governmental agencies. You know, there's people are not held personally accountable for these these things. They use terms like like um, overreach and um, what's another one? Um, it's not abuse of authority. Oh, it's abuse of discretion. Um, there's a lot of things that that insulate the individuals who come up with these policies. Um, from any kind of personal accountability that the the institution or the agency is held accountable, but the but the persons within it are not. And to be honest with you, Alex, that's one of the one of the beauties of our system and also one of its failures. It's just one of those things that that has uh, beneficial and detrimental uh, consequences. Yeah, we should just disband and dismantle every three letter and four little four-letter agency, repeal everything, get rid of these knuckleheads. Like, uh, what do they really do? I mean, for society, besides make everybody's lives difficult. Like, screw these guys. So done with it. Um, well, they take our money, too. What was that, Ann? I said, well, they take our money, too. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> I think, I think uh, these are great examples of how the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. Like all of these things are born out of some good intention. Maybe some more recently have been born out of cynicism, but they're born to protect people at a time that they're scared or that something's going wrong. And very quickly, things turn around. But the most uh, kind of vicious example, this is something my daughter pointed out to me yesterday of this is um, here in Canada. Um, doctor assisted suicide was made legal a couple of years ago. And you'd say, wow, you know, that's there are people who are sick and dying and then and there are people who are going to take their lives and they might mess it up and cause themselves all kinds of pain. Maybe this is a good thing. But the um, what's what's happening now is that there are all sorts of people who are disadvantaged and hopeless. And the government is reaching out and saying, don't worry, we can help you solve this problem by assisting you in committing suicide. And that is a really evil turnabout of uh, something that was meant kindly it's now it, it's basically like a it's a, a a way to humanely turn people kill people um and offer it as a solution it was really it's really wicked um yeah and if you could if you, if there was a way where you could as a you know let's say you were a tool of you know klaus and his buddies and you are part of their little brigade and like you subscribe to their shit and you're like build back better let's all say it together and 
you know, you could somehow engineer an environment where people's hope is crushed and there's lots of depression and, and there's lots of mental health problems. And then the next thing you know, these people are like, oh, life sucks and they're nihilistic and they're like, please help me off myself. Yeah. Like, well, I, I think not that I'm paranoid to the degree that I think that that might be a thing. I'd never be that paranoid. But like, Alex, no. what an amazing coincidence of events. Mm-hmm. Well, and th- this is why I think a lot of this stuff, it just, it turns because people quickly lose sight of the reason that something was created and they get to enforcing the rules that the thing was created under. So you, you can take any, I, I picked that example because I thought it was the most evil one that I've come across and I'm still in shock from it from the other day. But you pick any one of these agencies and they're in for, they, you know, they're set, like the um, homeland def- defense, right? or any of these things, they're quickly set up, okay, we've got to make sure we don't have terrorism again. But before you know it, we're the ones who are all being treated like terrorists, and they're not catching terrorists. And we're the ones who are, it's 20 years since September 11, 21 almost, right? And we're still taking our shoes off and disposing of water bottles. And I, I don't think that that, and taking our belts off at the airports, I don't think this is really what's combating uh, terrorism and it's not and it's 20 years after so you know someone should kind of wake up and say i'm not really sure that taking the shoes off matters but yeah, in- but but here's the thing so from a psychological standpoint it is an act of submission you are complying with their bullshit right so it's 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 in a way it's reinforcing and teaching human beings that you must comply with this tyrannical bullshit it's just tiny little things like that. That's why I'm so against the mask thing. You know, besides the science part, right? It's just an act of submission. And and my personality is to say GF, GF, you know, GF. This is this is why we should have sunsets on on many of these these policies and laws, and they should have to be brought back up. Um, I've said this many times. If in 1988 you had told me that the Patriot Act, Patriot Act was going to be uh, and you know created in in 2003, I, I would have told you that the Soviets had uh, had won the Cold War. Well, I mean, just look at the creep, right? It's like what Tomer was saying. Like, and the the excuse that they always use is it's for your protection. And there's this section of society that lives in fear, and those are the ones that they target. You know, they're like, "Be afraid, be very afraid. No one can protect you but us." Right. And so it's just, totally the wolves guarding the headhouse. Imagine if the Patriot. Imagine if the Patriot Act had an expiry date of next month. Then there would now be a campaign to reapprove the Patriot Act. And and the way they that actually they actually have reapproved it, Tomer. Well, uh, they, they, I mean, there you go. So it, it's like even having the sunset on these things. It's a, it's another one of these things that is created with good intentions, but could and could turn out to distort against itself, right? Like what we actually need is to use our brains and and not let these things perpetuate. And and we need to challenge every every piece of it from time to time. And we need to find a more peaceful way to do so than this create this accusation and divisive approach that's going back and forth where everyone accuses everybody else of being evil and uncaring and so on and so forth. And and, and both sides end up at these extreme opposites where both sides can actually legitimately ridicule each other for 
for their irrationality while being completely irrational themselves. There's just like admitting what you know, admitting what you don't know, finding solutions. I don't, I don't want to pretend that I have all the solutions here either myself. I'm just saying the, pro the process that we have right now of this adversarial system where the more extreme your position is, the more outraged you allow yourself to become at other people and, you know, and the more divisiveness we get is not working. And we put, need to put a bunch something of else put a bunch of Bitcoiners in Congress and you'll get some intellectual honesty. And if you look at something like the Patriot Act with intellectual honesty and not with your own self-serving kind of, of ends in mind, um, it might have been, uh, it might have been repealed. Yeah, we as much honesty. As, honesty is what's missing. As much as I hate, as I used to hate the thought of it, we need term limits too, in my opinion. You know, um, Tomer, as the polite Canadian, you say, um, it's probably done with the best of intentions. And, you know, there was a time when I thought that that was true as well. But I mean, call me cynical. <laughs> Maybe I am. I don't I don't think that's right anymore. Like looking at the way these things work, I've come to the conclusion that they're intentional and they're a ratchet effect. Like they they pass laws that take away our freedoms and they infringe upon our liberties and then they let those kind of settle in to where it's normalized and then they pass more and they let those settle in till it's normalized and then they pass more and like when does that end you know what i mean it's like in canada it, the prime minister of canada um did this thing against the truckers and you know the emergency measures that they created it's my understanding that they never repealed that shit they still have the power to freaking name anybody an enemy of the government so to speak and freeze all of their property is that civil, right civil, no, civil disobedience that's not right. it, it yeah. ends with civil disobedience and, and a prime example of that recently even in the uk is the whole kind of there was a mandate for nhs um, our national health service um, workers to, to get the jab and it got to a point where so many refused that they realized they had to um, turn back that decision and that's just a, a, right, an that, example. that's a decision and a policy it's not a law the problem is these laws that are created never get repealed the, the, the best... and let Tomer let Tomer answer the sure. question I was wondering so, yeah, about so, whether so two things so first just a very important correction Canada is no longer operating under the emergency measures act the, the emergency measures act has automatically repeals itself. I, I can't remember if it's every two weeks or every one week after something is passed, but they actually repealed it even prior to its expiration date. So the emergency measures, that's just an important point of factual history. I'm very upset that it ever was invoked in the first place, but just uh, how the Canadian law works and, and what happened in this particular instance to bring, to bring it to an end. I just want to set the record straight on that. Um, and I think the other question that you were bringing up, Alex, which is, you're cynical about the nature of how these things arise now. I do think we've crossed a Rubicon. I don't think that this was always the case. I, I think that, you know, there were well-intentioned things. Like everything in the U.S. Constitution was very well-intentioned, and nobody expected that someone would, over the course of 150 years or so, figure out how to subvert and pervert the division of powers by having revolving doors and people going around and, and you know, just having big enough entities to do that. But, but yeah, I'm very cynical as well of recent laws. And I think even since the 1950s, you almost know what a law is by hearing the name of the law and, and inverting it. So if something is called the, the, you know, the personal safety act, you know, that it's going to be something that's 
strictly against your personal safety. Uh, the, the, the deception that's crept into politics is, um, has been, is, I'm very cynical about that too. I think these politicians are, uh, I don't know, I don't want to give a psychological assessment, but there's a compulsive dishonesty amongst them. And, it, and it's right across the board and right across the political spectrum. I think like entering politics almost certainly, you know, the high degree of likelihood that the person is not interested in the truth. Tomer, it's a bit like uh, there was an amendment saying free speech in the uh, United States, but uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious to everyone that there's not free speech. And if you if you have the wrong thought, you'll be deplatformed and censored, uh, just like on, on Twitter and uh, and all the other um, uh, big tech uh, media platforms. But what I wanted to comment on, um, uh, Tomer, you spoke about earlier about this, um, helping people to end themselves and so one of my little um, uh, conspiracy theories is uh, that it, in, in reality, uh, what these people who run the world want, if you look at all the policies that have been implemented, and we can start with um, Rothschild's uh, funding of the feminist movement, I don't think it was because they wanted internally in their family necessarily that their wives and and daughters went off uh, to work full time stressful job that that was about um, basically doubling the amount of uh, of uh, taxable uh, slaves in their um, central banking enslavement system. But then there's a lot of um, um, other policies where you can see, I think, um, that they funny enough all have an agenda of um, of not um, uh, doing the opposite than giving the family a good uh, uh, foundation for having kids. I mean, the, bringing bringing wives to um, or females to uh, the workplace is one because all of a sudden it's it's more challenging to have kids than when you have one caretaker in the home and specialized functions in the families. We've seen. Um, you know, the, the amount of kids uh, couples have uh, dropped. We also see the amount of, um, um, of, um, of divorces go up. Personally, I think that if you don't have, a, you know, kind of speaking from personal experience, if you don't have uh, gender roles and if both parents kind of are doing the exact same thing and, and nobody really needs each other anymore, you know, the smaller things can lead to, um, divorce because you're not that you're not that team anymore. You're two different individuals that you know maybe both make money and uh, et cetera. Um, and and then you have the whole um, you know promotion of LBQ two. Or yeah, I can't even you know I'm not good with the letters there. But there's a lot of these things where it's all about hey, it's cool if you you know if you don't have kids. And also just talking about kids are. Uh, um, a problem for you know the health of the planet, and you see demonstrations of uh, of lefties that um, are like you know I'm not having kids because it's bad for the planet, and oh you don't need to have kids, and and all of these things, and you could find many more. In my opinion, um, and and that is my conspiracy theory that at the end of the day, those people running the world are cool 
if we don't really multiply as much because then they can spread their own genes uh, instead while they're, you know, just enslaving the rest of us by stealing the value of our savings, et cetera, et cetera, uh, by diluting um, the currency. That's it. Well, Anders, that was a that was the full spectrum there. Let me tell you, um, in the state that uh, that uh, uh, Alex and I live in, there's there's a great example of this of this kind of thing um, that we were talking about. Um, you know about the overreach and and about laws and and how the politicians manipulate them. And that's you know there's some heinous crimes on the books here that uh, you receive a life without parole sentence for, and Somebody thought it was a good idea, and life parole, life, life without parole sentence means you're never getting out of prison. There's no opportunity for parole, no opportunity for clemency, um, none of that. So somebody in, in, in our legislature thought it would be a good idea to stand up and say, hey, for that particular crime, I think there should be two life sentences without parole. And, you know, it's just it's this kind of thing, this kind of grandstanding that is only self-serving, does nothing for the community um, you know, and then these laws are, in, are enacted um, and, and they make no difference to anybody except for the guy that can now say that I'm, I'm even tougher on criminals than than somebody else was. And I think those are those are great examples of of our politicians using um, the the legislature and their their pulpit for their for their own means and not for not for anybody in the community. Um, hey guys, it's Val. Can you hear me? Yep, you're loud and clear. Good morning. Okay, cool. Yay. Good morning, Aloha, friends. Hey, so um, hey, so DJ, I just wanted to kind of circle back and comment on what you were talking about with uh, the family structure and women and men working, etc., and how it's falling apart. Um, I think one of I was talking with Svetsky about this a couple weeks ago, and you know the gender roles in the home are something that clearly have been um, annihilated with having to have two earners so that we can support a family. I'm a single mom right now. Never thought I would be a mom, never thought I'd be a single mom. And one of the biggest uh, issues that I think we face as a society is our, you know, supporting the women and allowing you know this opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom and and have that happen in a cool way, but then you know for my personal story, this is pretty vulnerable. But I, um, you know, I put my career on the shelf for 15 years so that I could be a stay-at-home mom, and I uh, I put my financial well-being into my husband's hands. And when things started falling apart for us. Uh, I had to rebuild my entire life because of, you know, thinking that this is like, yeah, I want to be this mom and raise my kids, you know? And so now I'm in this, like, holy shit, I've got to play catch up after this period of time because staying in the marriage, which unfortunately was abusive, wasn't an option for me. And so I think having the opportunity for all of us you know, men and women to support each other, but really, you know, women need to be financially sovereign as well, even if they are stay-at-home moms, you know, and so how, I'm curious to hear from all of you guys, like, what do you think is a way to help keep the family unit intact and 
not having other people raise our kids, but also, God forbid, there's a breakdown in uh, a, a relationship, you know, so that the the people can stay sovereign and go stay safe. So I'd just be curious to hear anybody's uh, feedback on that. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, right, cool. So thanks for thanks for coming up and um, asking the question. I'm just going to interject here really quickly. Um, couple of quick announcements. If you have thoughts to, to answer, Valerie, um, we'll let you go and go ahead and answer those. We're coming up at the point of time where we're going to have Start 9 come up, um, and we're going to start digging into uh, what they've got going on. It's funny. <laughs> we're 39 minutes into the show. We haven't hit any news items yet. We've just had this wide-ranging conversation about uh, politics and philosophy, and, and now um, – how do we help moms? <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty amazing, but uh, very cool. Nonetheless. Can I just read John Galt's speech from Atlas Rugged then? Well, then. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you can do it in under five minutes, Tomer, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, this is a great place to learn about Bitcoin. Granted, we also talk about a lot of other stuff, clearly. The, the conversation becomes pretty wide-ranging, but we like to think that most of this bears on Bitcoin in some way or another. Uh, we do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours. Talk about all things Bitcoin. Uh, it's a great place to get your morning news. This is also a podcast, by the way. If you want to catch it on the podcast, it's up on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin a follow to be notified of when those uh, drop. If you're interested in a job in Bitcoin, go to bitcoinerjobs.com. It's a great place. We, uh, there's well over 150 jobs posted there, I believe, and, and growing all the time. So if you want to work in the industry, that's a great place to start. And then finally, Swan Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan and Swan Private. Swan Private is designed for high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals who want kind of a one-on-one a -on -one concierge um, experience with Bitcoin. You want to learn about Bitcoin. We have a very deep bench of experts. You have basically unlimited access to our to our bench of experts, and we will guide you through the process of buying, owning, deploying, inheritance planning, Etc. Also, if you own a business and you'd like to put business uh, Bitcoin in your business balance sheet, Swan Bitcoin is a great way to do that. Our business onboarding is the fastest in the industry, typically less than one week, and in some cases, as fast as forty-eight hours. Okay, can I, uh, uh, Alex? Can I just uh, real quick uh, uh, attempt to comment or answer uh, DJ Valerie here? By all means, please do. I, yeah. So yeah, uh, DJ. Um, uh, first of all, I, I I'm I'm sorry to hear about uh, you know your, your situation and 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 of course it it doesn't mean what I'm trying to say is not that it's it's not a hundred percent you know uh, guarantee that everything will be fine if if you had an abusive uh, husband um, that that probably would have um, you know failed either way i mean some some people are just not you know straight in the head or, or, or so to speak or, or nice people and um so i would personally 100 percent support that um in a situation where if the mom is is going home to raise kids and 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 acting that role naturally she needs to be financially secured one way or another it shouldn't be that um um that um you know that if the, the the husband is the breadwinner, then only he can have access to the funds. So um, 
so I'm not saying it's a hundred percent solution to uh, divorce or anything. I I just um, I from the increasing divorce rates and everything, I think that um, it, it's just a thing that hasn't been helping. Um, you know, families, uh, relationships, and the amount of kids that um, we're having. So, um, yeah, but thanks for the comment. It's good to uh, to have a, a reverse um, a point of view on that. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give the mic up. I'm, I'm curious about the news as well. So, uh, but thanks for, um, thanks for the comments. Cheers. Yeah, and thanks for responding to that. And, and I really do believe that, like, Bitcoin – is something that, you know, as we teach the moms and the women and the kids about this, we don't, we're not going to have situations that are going to lead to abuse if we have a more, you know, fair economic, um, you know, system in our, in our homes. And so that's why I am a trillion percent in Bitcoin. So thanks you guys, your rock. I think real quick, we've gone away from the nuclear family, extended nuclear family. And I think the personally, I think the extended nuclear family um, helps in those kinds of, of situations and allows um, the uh, money earning uh, age adults to be able to um, continue to do so and continue to interact and, and be positive forces in the community and in their families um, while also uh, maintaining uh, more family uh, cohesiveness. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I really think guys, like I love all the technical aspects of Bitcoin, obviously, and the financial impacts that it has, but really, you know, this, the, the way that it impacts our relationships with each other and within our families and our communities. I, I'm doing some episodes on that actually. And I think it's really important to understand like, how money, you know, people get divorced because of money. It's one of the biggest reasons relationships fall apart. So it's like, how can we cultivate uh, a family and a community and a society that really embraces the power of this energy for all and, you know, hopefully keep our, our souls intact in the process. So yay, yay, and yay. <laughs> Valerie, I, I just wanted to make a quick comment as well. It's such a complex topic and you're to be committed for even bringing it up you know i think that the clear answer is we can't just depend on the legal system um to make these things right i think it's also again from my own perspective very commendable um our home is is similarly structured with regards to you know my wife is we've raised four kids so far. And, uh, for the most part, she's been a stay at home mom. It's a job in and of itself. So, um, and I know we have a friend that, you know, mom is did basically the same thing going through a divorce and having to pick up a career that, that she left, uh, many years ago for the most part. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an important topic. All right. So, um, our featured guest today is going to be coming up pretty soon. We're going to be talking about Start9 uh, and digging into um, what they're working on right now. Let's hit a couple of quick news topics before we roll into that. Apparently, the U.S. Treasury has sanctioned Russian Bitcoin miners. For the first time ever, U.S. Department of the Treasury is taking aim at Bitcoin miners operating in Russia. According to data from Cambridge University, 
Russia is the world's third largest destination, or uh, I guess they have the third largest hash rate, maybe. Um, and according to Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, by operating, uh, I guess this guy's name is Brian Nelson, by operating vast server farms that sell virtual currency mining capacity internationally, these companies are helping Russia monetize their natural resources. Also, that Russia has a comparative advantage in crypto mining due to energy resources and a cold climate. Um, it's interesting because isn't this kind of the stuff that Jason Lowry was talking about that, you know, eventually um, nations were going to have to get after each other in terms of mining? Go ahead, Tomer. Like I'm, I'm just banging my head over and over here at the, at the, at this news. It's like, oh no, these Russian Bitcoin miners have been sanctioned. How will they ever spend their Bitcoin <laughs> by adding their own transactions to the blockchain? Like, these are these are the people who are are outside the purview of a government to freeze their funds. They can literally mine their own transactions and add them to the blockchain. So even I don't even know what the word sanction means in this context at all. Um, it's just it 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 shows the lack of understanding of how the system works to try to tell somebody who adds transactions to the chain that their transactions are not allowed to be added. It's like, this is the point of permissionlessness, right? Like nobody, if, if you find the block, you find the block and you could put in it anything that's legal by the rules of Bitcoin. And it doesn't matter what some bureaucrat and some government halfway around the world tells you. And this is what makes, this is what makes Bitcoin so valuable. It's uncensorable. It's permissionless. It pays for work. The next thing they're going to do is they're going to uh, say that uh, inflation is being caused by Russian miners. To me, what it was at looks like they're sanctioning BitRiver and any of their affiliates. So it'll just make it harder to expand operations and things along those lines. But just really at the end of the day, it's a menacing word salad. Basically, it means nothing, right? I mean, that company, is it a, is it a U.S.-based company? Is it based somewhere in, in a Western nation? Does anybody know? They, they are Russian-based, um, but have some locations in Europe, I believe. All right, well, as long as their headquarters is not in a Western nation, I guess it's pretty irrelevant. Um, I agree with Homer. Like, what the hell are they going to do? Um, we have Doug Brews Bitcoin up here. Good morning, Doug. How you doing? First time I think we've had you up here. Yeah, good morning. Uh, just a quick thing on the sanctions thing. Um, this actually ties into what I've been seeing more about fiat economy, fiat banking world fighting because of the relevance of Bitcoin being more pervasive now. Um, even to the point that like at the Bitcoin conference, WorldPay, a merchant credit card processor, was a gold uh, sponsor of the event, you know, because they're trying to uh, fight tooth and nail to stay relevant. And you're going to find the same thing in governments trying to stay relevant with the sanction thing against Bitcoin. So I think it, it ties in that old the old banking thought, the old banking fiat world 
fighting tooth and nail to stay relevant. And so sanctions, uh, banking, world pay, uh, they're all trying to pivot to stay relevant or to fight Bitcoin, you know, to make it irrelevant. How do you guys feel about the concept of, you know, yes, the nodes, nodes, you know, won't enforce and sanction, you know, these sanctions, so to speak. But how do you guys feel about, you know, the concept of, you know, the five eyes apparatus or whomever, you know, um, attempting to separate good coin, quote, good coins or bad coins, you know, and if they can, you know, create a narrative around the idea that, you know, one nation's mining, you know, coins, you know, coin supply that's added from one nation's mining activities would be quote unquote, like sanctioned or banned. And so then those coins, if identified, could potentially create the concept or the existence of good versus bad coins. And then on a long enough timeline, do we, is it technically possible that we end up with either a bunch of scared of you know, scared humans, uh, or and or Swift Network 2.0, where it's basically the Five Eyes apparatus approving what you know, you know, their good labeled coins, so to speak, over a long enough timeline. Yeah, it's a, this is a pretty interesting topic, and um, before anybody answers that question, so the question is basically one of bifurcation of and 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 the um, fungibility of of Bitcoin, right? Um, let's do get into that, but before we do, I want, I want to acknowledge, uh, throw a shout out to Hotep Jesus, who's in the audience. Um, I'm going to throw you an invite. If you want to come up here and talk, you're welcome to do so. Don't no obligation to do so if you don't want to, but, uh, this guy is extremely well known, uh, in the, in the Bitcoin space. So you're welcome to come up and join the conversation. Does anybody have any thoughts on what, uh, Ant was just talking about the bifurcation potential, Breaking yeah, of the fungibility, uh, so just, to speak. <clears throat> excuse me. I just I just jumped up just because I wanted to chime in on that real short, but um, I I think it ties directly into what Tomer was talking about because there's a real misunderstanding about what the Bitcoin network is and where the actual boundaries of the Bitcoin network are, and conversely, where the boundaries of uh, regulatory jurisdictions are. And what we're seeing is uh, governments and regulators continually attempt to, at minimum, FUD by, like, you know, what was previously said, a, a menacing word salad that's sort of threatening in the direction of Bitcoin, but doesn't actually touch the Bitcoin network. And I think for sure in the short term, there are some knock-on effects of this if you're talking about interacting with uh, exchanges you're talking about taking coins off the network um, trying to convert for fiat but as long as you're on bitcoin this stuff is kind of irrelevant um, to me this is part of the whole strategy about really really long-term hodling and even potentially forever hodling um, because i think that in the long term anyways, probably within a decade or so, these kinds of things won't be relevant. Bitcoin will be too scarce, it will be too widely used, and for a lot of people's use cases, it's just not going to matter where your Bitcoin came from. If you're actually transacting and paying Bitcoin or sending Bitcoin to someone, it'll be gladly accepted. 
Yeah, I think that's right, man. I, I, I agree with that completely. I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of arguments for this particular situation. And in some cases, you know, it may actually lead to certain jurisdictions saying to certain exchanges, okay, well, if these Bitcoin came from here, you know, you have to make them non-fungible. But at the end of the day, individuals are going to be like, yeah, screw that. I don't care. I think. Hotep, good morning. Welcome up, man. Hey, good morning, man. Great conversation. Um, here to learn and uh, provide any insight as far as money is concerned. As anybody knows, I've done a ton of research on the history of money. But uh, great conversation so far. Thanks for having me on the stage. I'll chime in when I uh, feel like I have something to add. But uh, that Russian conversation was very interesting. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's it's just one it's it's just one more you know we're over the target, sir. Moment, you know. Any time, in my opinion, you hear Christine Lagarde jumping up and down saying Bitcoin is bad. You hear just really anybody from the old world legacy system jumping up and down, throwing a little temper tantrum, saying Bitcoin is bad. All that means to me is we're over the target. Like that. That's it's a good thing. You know, whether they can actually do anything or not, I don't know. I guess we'll see. You know, always, <clears throat> oh, go ahead, Hotep. No, I always thought it was a type of uh, tactic to sort of slow Bitcoin adoption while they creep in and sort of uh, attempt to monopolize portions of the market. That's what I saw. I saw it as a defensive mechanism and also uh, blatant ignorance as to how the system actually works. <laughs> you know, as you were saying before, with the whole Russia situation, they're saying, oh, we're going to sanction these people. And it's just like, you can't do that. <laughs> so there's a lot of ignorance and also a lot of uh, malicious attempts at monopolizing portions of the uh, financial market. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Bitcoin especially is agnostic and it's it's the actors that are that are using Bitcoin. So, you know, money's neither evil nor nor good. It just is. Um, and, you know, if you look at the if I've, I've talked about this before, if you look at the U.S. dollar, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if it's still, but it's certainly in the in the 90s, some ungodly percentage of U.S. dollars were were tainted with cocaine and it didn't stop anybody from spending them. Yeah, I think the the funniest or the I guess you could say the best part, I you know, my favorite part or one of my favorite parts of this whole thing right now is that it just shows how obviously scared they are that, you know, Russia or some other nation that they don't like is going to flip on the miners. And, you know, they called out Russia's advantage around energy and and, you know, climate to be able to mine efficiently. I mean, they're clearly scared. They're just lashing out at Bitcoin. I mean, the, the, the fear is palpable. And it really comes back to the fact that for decades, for better part of a century, these kind of sanction actions really had an impact and really yielded political results globally. And suddenly, I think there's a, a real sense in the U.S. government that they've lost some major degree of that leverage and impact and the entire west is looking around and seeing a total v recovery in the ruble and saying what the hell's going on here like our our normal weapons in this situation don't work so this is really a uh, a case of 
you know, just the last week or so. That's what we've seen that whole article about psychopaths. It's just they're they've run out of real <clears throat> ammo in the direction of Bitcoin, and all that's left is sort of name calling and uh, you know just trying to get people to have an emotional response about it. Am I the only one that thinks they have a pretty effective attack? Actually, uh, it's just not the kind that we pick up on as an attack. Like we know that these. Um, ad hominem attacks are ineffective and laughable and disingenuous too. Um, but the attack they do have that tends to work out pretty well is just, um, it's, it's people kind of pick up on it when they talk about bifurcation of the network, but um, really it's more of just, uh, you know, uh, an exploitation of the fact that no technology is so wonderful that people can't use it to hurt themselves. And a lot of people use Bitcoin in a really um, quite perverse fashion where they abandon self-sovereignty. They don't take custody of their own coins. They don't verify what it is they're doing and they use it in a way that doesn't really make anything. It uh, doesn't really help them in terms of their own sovereignty at all. Um, and collectively, usage of Bitcoin in that way hurts the network. And it's only really possible because of... Um, a fairly lapsed attitude by the state and, uh, an inc and a, a sort of bone that they've thrown to us that encourages people to use it in a poor fashion. Um, it's like, uh, no, I'm not going to use that analogy, apologies, but that's the one, uh, the effective attack I think there is because you can't stop people from using Bitcoin in a weak way and they're only capable of doing that um, because of the relative uh, lack of uh, attack, uh, you know, nothing overt. Um, just Bitcoin sits around, you know, is sitting on exchanges like it's nothing, and all you have to do is send a picture of your passport to some Brian Armstrong kind of character, and then you can use Bitcoin as an inflation hedge and pretend it's the best thing in the world and vote for politicians that say they're going to do nice things with it. Um, that to me is the the real attack, and I find it quite concerning. Man, that was cogent. <laughs> Good morning, police state mechanic, and welcome up here. Police state is mechanic is working with Start Nine Labs and uh, featured guest for today. So we're gonna dig right into it. Um, there was a panel at the Bitcoin 2022 conference. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was wartime something maybe. Am I getting it that right? That was the panel. That was the panel at Bitcoin 2022. It was called wartime. Were you on that panel, police state? mechanic no uh i felt like i was in spirit though i, I love uh giacomo i love svetsky and i love uh francis pulio and there's one other person who uh, my mind just isn't awake enough yet to to remember who that was but i was definitely there in spirit and uh, i would have gone further than any of those guys did at that particular moment <laughs> you know what's funny is is that like while while i was listening to you intro basically i was thinking man this dude should have been on that panel. <laughs> yeah, like your the your fact, spirit. Like the fact that you would have gone further is probably the reason you weren't there. Yeah, I get in trouble sometimes, man. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting that you bring up what you what you did in terms of people think they're using Bitcoin, but in reality, they're they're kind of not. Um, we had a guest on here yesterday who was basically saying that a ton of people are probably just going to leave their Bitcoin in institutional custody, which, by the way, I agree with. I think that's right. 
And the reason why is, is that a lot of people just don't understand what they're doing with it. And um, they're used to that, right? We've we've got, you know, all these people who've grown up in the system where their their money is in the custody of the bank, their stocks are in the custody of the broker, their retirement accounts are in the custody of the the retirement account custodians, and it's just the system that they know. Uh, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that mechanic? Like, how do we move away from that model? How do we get people? Well, this is the thing. A lot of perceived issues and uh, gripes and disgruntlement around uh, a changing world and a technologically developing and alienating world is that people don't identify problems properly. And a, a great example of this is when big data engage in censorship and gatekeeping, and you know, the, you know, the egregious things that, you know, for example, you don't have to love or hate Alex Jones, but they all banded together, Spotify, iTunes, uh, YouTube. They, they all got together and said, that's it. This person doesn't exist anymore. And they just deleted him in one fell swoop. And it doesn't matter if you support Alex Jones or not. If you're capable of identifying root causes and problems, you know that that's a problem because you know that what access to information is now, there's an incredible bottleneck that you've got to contort yourself to fit through and then you, you know present what you have to say in an acceptable manner or at least or go even further and literally censor yourself to the point where you're still allowed a voice even though it's not a truthful voice anymore the fact that things like that can happen and it's and let's even let's let's throw you the benefit of the doubt and say you're a person that even understands that as a problem what's the solution to that problem and your your uh solution you will come come up with depends on what you actually identify the problem as being. And nearly everyone gets that wrong. They all think that these platforms are bad. We need to jump to other platforms. So you see these mass migrations of people. And this was crazy. When, when Trump got banned, uh, Trump being another example of big data just wiping someone off the planet, um, when Trump got banned, there was a mass migration on my Telegram. It was set to give me notifications of when people in my contacts list get the app. And like 50% of people I knew suddenly showed up on Telegram. It was like they'd had enough of big data and they want to get away from these platforms. And they're not identifying the problem correctly at all because Telegram can just deplatform them all as well. And nothing in Telegram is even encrypted by default, but it's still fundamentally you asking for someone else's permission to communicate. And if you're going to do that, you're going to run up against the same problem over and over again. And people do this game of cat and mouse where they move from platform to platform to platform. Like when Joe Rogan moved to uh, that uh, Chinese version of Twitter, I, I can't remember what it was called, but then everyone followed him and went, I've made an account, I've made an account. And this, if I can use this as a, a natural way to segue into what we do at Start9, is we say that's not, you're not identifying the problem correctly, so you're not going to come up with a real solution. You can't just ask permission from different people because the people you initially asked permission from were denying you um, freedoms that you want because you're just going to end up in the same position again. So what you have to do is what I call getting a, a digital driver's license, and that is um, to become an adult of your own uh, sovereign uh, an adult that is capable of doing what it is they want to do without asking permission from someone else. Because until you do, I always say you're like a teenager asking their parents to drive them somewhere. And when their parents say no, 
this shit out of luck. So it's like you have to get your own vehicle, you have to learn to use it yourself, and then you don't need anyone's permission anymore. And uh, that analogy is obviously flawed because driver's license is asking permission from the state to be able to drive, which is not a, a, not at all the, the message I want to convey here. But I hope my point uh, is clear nonetheless. So what does that mean in the digital realm? It just means I have cloud storage, but it's hosted on my own machine. So I can upload anything there. Nothing's going to get deleted. I don't need permission to upload anything there. I don't need permission to download anything from it. I don't need permission to share it with other devices of mine. I don't need permission to use more space. I just need to get a larger drive. I don't need permission to to share those files with other people. And those and I have no privacy concerns about any of this. That is a different story from using something like iCloud or um, OneDrive by Microsoft or uh, Google Drive by Google. If you're using any of those things to store your data, first off, they're they're pouring through all of it to try and make a profile on you based on which they can sell uh, sell that data for advertising revenue, which is a complete violation of your privacy. And second off, they're losing that data and creating security nightmares for you, depending on what's in there. Third off, you might have people that personally know you working for those corporations, looking at all of your stuff, which is completely inappropriate. And fourth, you're just asking their permission. So there was a big stink when Apple, about uh, around last August, suddenly said, we're going to be uh, uh, scanning everything uploaded on your iPhone. Everything, Every picture taken on your iPhone is going to be scanned to see whether it uh, uh, matches with any picture in our database that shows illicit images such as child pornography and stuff like that. And immediately we'll go, what if I'm taking a photo of my two-year-old having a bath, having fun, playing with a rubber duck or something? You know, we're sitting there going, why are we worried about this stuff? It's because we're asking Apple for permission about what photos we're allowed to take and what we're allowed to share. And it's just to, to get back to children, uh, childhood versus adulthood, we're just a bunch of children using technology designed for us by some hopefully benevolent, benevolent overlords and we're just hoping that they do the right thing by us. And instead of that, we need to come up with a model where people go, yeah, I'm not going to be treated like a child. I'm going to take control of my own life in the digital realm. I love that analogy, man. I think it's freaking fantastic. I mean, you don't even have to use the driver's license part of it. Just say, grow up, be an adult, drive your own car. Stop being the little kid asking your, your mom or your dad to drive you someplace. It's freaking perfect. I I totally agree with that. Right. Um, you got to learn to tie your shoelaces. Otherwise, you're going to be asking permission from people that know how to tie shoelaces for your whole life. And, and you know what? It just makes sense. Like we're in this world now where so many things depend upon the Internet and the digital ecosystem, so to speak. Like if you're if you're not a grown up, then <laughs> it just man, that's a great analogy. I love it. OK, yeah. I, I want to add on something onto that, just to just to sort of round it off and show sort of the opposing perspective here, which is a lot of people are starting to identify these problems, and I want to give some credit where it's due. But the reality is, it's just so hard to become independent in this realm because you need to be a systems administrator, and that reality is what sparked us to make this product. So I, I wasn't there at the beginning of uh, the Start Nine company, but and I totally understand the ethos and the, the history of why it was created. So 
they were trying to set up lightning nodes and get them to interact with Bitcoin core nodes. And it would take these guys who've been studying, you know, who are legitimate computer scientists who've been, who have all the qualifications and are some of the most gifted people I know. It would, they'd sit there for a few days trying to figure out how to do it. And they're like, this is never going to be possible for anyone. Like humans can learn to drive cars and they can learn to use firearms and they can, uh, they can learn to tie shoelaces, but no one is going to be able to do this. And even if they identify the problem correctly, the technical challenge is too intimidating. So this stuff needs to be designed and in a way where it's accessible. And most people that want the freedom and understand the problems actually have a shot, a hope in hell. Uh, if they're just a you know a standard user of a computer, you do need a little bit of literacy to use an embassy. Embassy being the product we make, of course, and I'll get more into that in a second. But the point is, it's it, the bar has been lowered and lowered and lowered to the point where it's within grasp of ninety five percent of people. If you want to get away from big data, if you want to have your own cloud storage, if you want to communicate in a way that doesn't depend on someone like Facebook running a WhatsApp server or YouTube running you know google servers if you want to if you want to actually use all these things in a self-sovereign manner and you're not a systems administrator it becomes possible with embassy os so uh, i'm going to get more into that in a minute but uh, i see a lot of hands up and you probably want to jump in as well alex yeah for sure obviously this is a pretty interesting topic you know the crew is kind of briefing me on embassy prior to you coming on today. And I had not heard of it before, but I was watching a couple of quick little videos that were blowing my mind. I was like, Oh my God, I've never heard of this thing before, but I already want one. <laughs> I literally threw that in the crew chat. I was like, dudes, I want one of these things. Um, we normally nest things so people can look at links and stuff like that. But the nest is down. Twitter's working on that, I guess. But if you want to join our telegram group, go to t.me forward slash cafe Bitcoin club. Again, t.me forward slash cafe Bitcoin club. Um, yeah, mechanic, if you want to join that, you're welcome to, uh, to throw links in there. I'm sure people are going to be super curious about that. We're happy to link stuff for you as well. Like that little video that we had in the uh, team chat guys, that'd be a great thing to throw in there. Hotep, if you want to join that and you, there's anything you ever want to talk to our people about, you're welcome to post stuff in there too. So, um, you know, the, that's the Cafe Bitcoin kind of group where we all talk about stuff. We've got a bunch of hands up here. Um, and if you guys wouldn't mind being brief, there's a ton of information. would love to dig in here with, uh, with mechanics. So, Tomer, go ahead. Well, I'll be super quick. I just first of the disclosure, I'm a start nine user. So I have an embassy device. I'm a, I'm a friend of mechanics, a good, a good friend, and I'm a big fan of the company. So uh, this, this ringing endorsement comes for, from experience and, and, and friendship. Um, what I would just say is, I know there's a lot of Swan customers out in the audience here, and they like the overall experience that Swan brings with good customer service attached to a product that normally has no customer service. In addition to all that they offer, I think um, Start9 has this incredible Telegram group where you can get support. And I know a lot of people who use other nodes um, and other personal servers are always complaining that they can't get any help. So it's, it's really remarkable. In, in the, they had a recent upgrade, and I was having a little bit of challenge with uh, some sync mm -hmm. speed issues. And the CEO of the company got, I mean, mechanic here spent time with me, but the CEO of the company spent time with me trying to debug the problem. And it was just like, that's, 
at least at this stage of, of this uh, evolution, is just incredible service and incredible commitment to making sure that their product does exactly what it's uh, said to do. So I'm just a huge fan of the company. Cool. Terrence. Uh, yeah, so I think um, on the Trump deplatforming, Twitter benefits from the status quo, as do all the other social media platforms. So when he got deplatformed, um, it would have been, I would argue, a similar situation if Al Gore had rejected what the Supreme Court had decided in 2000, 2001, and wanted to overturn the uh, kind of election results as determined by the voters, the electors, and the Supreme Court. So um, because they are beneficiaries of the status quo in the current system, they're not going to let whether it's Al Gore or Trump or anybody else who's a threat to the current system, um, do that. So you get free speech if you're the Taliban, you get free speech if you're a terrorist, a bad person, as long as you're not a threat to the platform that they benefit from and the system, the current system that they benefit from. So I think we need to have better arguments. I think what uh, was just said was excellent. It's just... Um, I think a lot of people in Bitcoin and a lot of um, conservatives and, and libertarians miss this. The gener it was all about Trump not accepting the results and encouraging insurrection among some people who became, uh, a few of whom became very violent. So 99.999%, right? Totally peaceful. Tomer, sorry, not Tomer, um, Tone Vase was there, right? Said it was totally peaceful. He didn't see the part that, uh, that some of the uh, people in law enforcement and there was video evidence of people hey, who plan violence. So that's very different. I just want to yeah, jump in. Sorry, quickly. go ahead. I didn't mean to in any way cast a judgment on the validity of it or the motivation of the big data platforms that silence Trump. My only point with it is that it should demonstrate their power to you. That's literally it. I'm not talking about the motivation or the validity whatsoever. Don't trust what you see on the news either. A lot of provocateurs at these protests and these movements, a lot of people working for the police, often um, setting off some of these violent acts and these fires. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, good stuff. Let's move on. Hotep, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, uh, Big Tech uh, to me is the branches uh the big problem is uh fear and culture and organization of said culture when we think about the left the radical left uh what i see are a group of people who practice excellent organization skills and everybody on the uh, outside of that radical group uh is a reaction to the left and everything that they do and that is the problem because our reactions to the left actually uh, is like uh, oxygen to a fire, right? So I think what we got to do is we got to uh, pull back and say, okay, what is what are our goals? How do we achieve them? How do we organize? And then move in that direction and, and remove the left from our lives completely. Uh, the other part I mentioned was fear. People fear everything out here. They, you know, they're afraid to speak because of some boogeyman, I guess, right? I don't have fear, which is what leads to my success. 
uh, outside of any sort of physical altercation. I don't have any fear. I don't fear anybody canceling. It's not possible. So I think we have to help people become more brave and speak up and speak their mind because uh, the, we've allowed the left to dominate uh, social media for far too long. And I think if more voices spoke up outside of anonymity, uh, we'd have more success. Uh, and then um, obviously adoption of tech. You know, when we talk about uh, the adoption of tech. If somebody doesn't want to uh, get over the learning curve to learn and stuff, they really just don't care about their privacy or anything like that. So they should just be uh, subject to whatever the big tech is. But if you really care, you'll learn. Yep. And so many bombs, like like amazing, uh, amazing bombs being dropped in here today. Uh, go ahead, mechanic. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's, a, there's a reactionary nature to almost everything we do. But uh, I will defend that. Uh, I, I like your approach. I like anyone that claims fearlessness, of course. Uh, I will say that um, there's a reactionary nature to it all, including Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, you know, it comes, it, adoption of it is literally sparred on and motivation to build and maintain the project comes right out of the back. I mean, it's right there in the in the Genesis block. Like the chancellor is going to print more money. He is going to do a second bailout for bank. We are demonstrating the issue, which is centralized control of the issuance of money. Like, I mean, that's the problem. Here's the solution. I mean, some people will characterize Bitcoin as a reaction to all of this central bank fuckery. Um, and it's not. It's more than that. We know it's that. But if you just see it as a, like, I want to be left alone. These people aren't going to leave me alone, so I'm going to build technology that means everything they do can't affect me. I mean, that can be characterized as reactionary, and I'm okay with it if it is. Uh, as long as the technology is actually effective and it allows me to be left alone, I'm happy. Yeah, 100% agree. So I would like to... The only action worthy of reaction is innovation. Sorry, say again? I was just saying the only reaction worthy of being. Sounds a little broken up for me. Yeah, I'm not getting you, Hotep. He must be driving, is my guess. It does that. I, I learned that, by the way, on my on my journey back from the Bitcoin 2022 conference. I tried to do the show from my car, and apparently when you switched cell towers and you're you're trying to get data apparently um twitter spaces does not like that at all <laughs> so if you're moving um it, it doesn't work so hot yeah um, me too it will let you keep the connection in in a lot of cases but it there's times where you just drop out completely because you're driving through those zones you know i want to hear a good guy's question i always love hearing what he's got to say i appreciate it yeah guys uh, you know this is all really important and these are these are really important topics people are discussing. Products like the embassy help you take self sovereignty. Um, but I think we're all living in a bit of a honeypot here. Um, we do live in a, a a technological state where you're in some senses uncancelable. Um, and I think we need to 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 Hotep's point and to police's point, we need to embrace the technological side instead of worrying about Trump being cancelled. Focus on your ability not to be canceled. Focus on your online presence and the technology that hardens those types of things. We've, we have solutions for all these problems. In fact, most of these solutions were invented back in the 90s when we were running shoutcasts and streams from our own computers. 
when we're hosting websites and FTP storage to our own devices. Um, and I, I think today, most people that are looking for security solutions, privacy solutions, fall into what I would call honeypots. They download things like WhatsApp or Anani. They buy phones like Anani, assuming that this will allow them to do uh, uh, anonymous, dangerous work. When in reality, these devices are pitched as privacy tools, but in fact, they're designed to collect customer information and, and, and profiteer from that. If, you, if you're not paying for something, understand generally you are the product that's being sold. So if these if these technologies that you're downloading, these, these all-in-one services, these social media apps, understand you're still the product there. But we do have solutions like PGP, right? We do have the ability to integrate these technologies in our communications. We all have the ability to set up a desktop computer at home and use that for storage or something like the embassy, plugging some external hard drives in them. These are solutions that will stop us from um, uh, be being victimized by this type of marketplace. So I would just say, don't feel like a victim. Don't feel like it's unfair. You know, you can worry about all the people that are canceled, but in reality, focus on yourself. As someone who's been in the privacy space for 15, 20 years now, I, all I will say is most people don't give a shit and most people won't give a shit until it's too late. So if you're working on these products, privacy by default is key. If you're interacting with people, make sure you offer them tools and solutions. And above everything else, just educate yourself and educate the ones you love because these solutions exist. And again, things like PGP are a great solution to these types of communications. I agree. I don't think that you can... Um... I'm not so sure I'd agree that most people just don't give a shit. I think a lot of that is circumstantial. It's the fact that they feel like if I do give a shit, what the hell can I do about it? Which is, it's difficult to gauge the difference there. I think most, like most people actually, most people really do demonstrate some kind of resignation and defeatism when you bring up these points. Like when Snowden revelations came out, for example, the main the 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 psychological makeup of the responses I heard was a dismissal, but a dismissal that comes from a place of what the hell could I even do about this if I even decided I was bothered by it? Which see, to me says they are bothered by it, but they just don't know how to solve the problem. Because th this is the analogy I always use. It's like if you want to make a country that has freedom of the individual at its absolute core and limitation of the government in its constitution, you end up with America, but it only works because a, a, a firearm is simple enough for basically anyone to use and not, you know, kill themselves in the process, hopefully. And a firearm works pretty well and it does preserve liberty pretty well. And, and as a result, you do have a country like America be great for a very long time. Um, so, but imagine if using a gun was just an incredibly complicated thing that required 20 years of studying how to use this thing. It wouldn't be an effective tool of freedom because it wouldn't distribute the, the nature of your defense widely enough. It would be in the hands of a, a few small gatekeepers and then you'd be back where you started. It wouldn't be an effective tool of defense. So someone has right. to come along. Someone has to come along and say, okay, here's a thing where if you want cloud storage, if you want messaging, if you want social media, if you want money, i.e. the whole Bitcoin stack, we've got it here. And everything can be clicked. Every dependency is managed exquisitely, so you're not going to get lost. And there's white glove support. So you can actually do this. And I th my point is, I think you can, you can change 
what people want to do in that circumstance. I don't think anyone wants their communication to be spied on or for people to look through photos on your phone because they're all stored in iCloud. I don't think anyone actually wants that or thinks that's a good thing. I think most people are just fed up and given up any hope of trying to get independence or privacy or any of these things. And we're saying, no, you can do it. And no, you don't need to be a systems administrator. You can totally do it here. It's viable. And by the way, we're not just making hot air. We're not going to sell you this device and then you're on your own when something doesn't work. Actually, we're going to help you. We're going to get you to where you need to be. Yeah, yeah you make a really good point. I, mean, I understand. The issue most people encounter is, is defeatism, right? When we talk about security and when we talk about privacy to people, it's that onion. And you can go as many layers deep as you want. And often that in itself is, is defeating for people. Which private message service do I use? Which full node do I go with? How do I set up these things? So I think, I think you're right, please. I apologize. People do want privacy. I think most people are defeated by privacy in its current technological state. All right, I'm going to yeah, pause you guys. For, I'm going to pause Sorry, you guys for a second right there. Um, I'll say one and, last thing, Alex, just to good guys' point. Uh, I, I completely agree with that. And I think it's like you were saying, you don't want to be a victim. You want to be active and you want to... Uh, you want to take control of your own destiny here, which is, that's the important point to, to to push home. So people may be defeated and all that stuff, and I get it, but we need to inspire them again and say, no, it's possible. You guys, you need to do this. It's time to get, it's time to learn to drive a car and stop being driven around by people that will only take you to pre-approved government locations. Okay, you need a real car, then you can drive to wherever you want. We need to say that that's possible again, and people are going to want to do it, and it's going to be a rite of passage. And the simplicity of it is key, right? It's just like you were saying, it's got to be super simple. So I, I would like to dig into Start9 some more. Like, what does Start9 do? What's the purpose? And then let's talk about an embassy and drill down uh, a little more into the actual product. Hotep, if you get yourself to a, sta a stationary location and you want to jump back in here, throw a hand back up and we'll we'll call on you again. So... Um, Still got some hands up. We're gonna. I, I would like to dig into that though. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Start Nine. What's its purpose? What does it do? And then let's talk about Embassy. Yeah, Start Nine is a company founded by uh, Matt Hill uh, and the McClellan brothers, uh, Keegan, Keegan McClellan, and Aiden McClellan. And as I mentioned earlier, they would. It started out first and foremost as a project to make Lightning just usable. You're going to want, you, you can use Bitcoin in any way that you want, right? You can even not run a node, but if you want to run a node, you can do it not on a, something that looks like a server. You can do it on your laptop and you just turn it off and then you turn it on again when you need it and it will catch up with the latest blocks and it's fine. But something like Lightning needs a dedicated server because you want it to be online all the time and there's actual risk of losing money if you're offline for large periods of time or any period of time. So that starts to look like a server, right? And the minute you have something that looks like a server, you usually have some sort of dependence on a third party. So it's like we need the counterpart to the personal computer revolution, which is the personal server revolution. That's the that's the crux of the problem there. And I'll I'll make a brief aside about what uh, about what I mean by that, which is everything we do online is always two computers. It's never just one computer. It's always a client and a server. And as Andreas pointed out years ago, that's a euphemism for master slave. Uh, you're asking permission from the server and the server is, is the boss of whether you get to do what you want to do or not. So yes, we've got personal computers 
but it's only 50% of the revolution. We need the other 50%, which is we need personal service as well. We need to be our own boss. We're not going to break the model of client server. That's never going to happen. We just need to be our own server as well as our own computer. So come in, start nine. We're going to make a system that is actually usable for everyday people. And obviously, it starts with money. Money I look at as the gateway drug. If you're not going to be self-sovereign when it comes to money, i.e. Bitcoin, which gives you the opportunity to be self-sovereign with your own money, if you choose to negate that responsibility, you're going to get Mt. Gox, you're going to get quadrigued, you're going to get any number of massive Bitcoin exchanges that collapse and lose everyone's money. Um, you're going to learn pretty quick that you need to be responsible for your own money. And we have this mantra, not your keys, not your coins. But it applies to other areas of digital existence, not just finance. So if it's not your data center, if it's not your server, it's not your cloud storage, which means if they say, we don't like you anymore, we're shutting down your iCloud account, you lost your iPhone, all your pictures were in that iCloud account, doesn't matter, we shut it down, you have no access to it, sue us. Like you're asking permission, it was not your data, it was someone else's data. So I don't really know how to adapt the mantra. I'm always trying to think of a good way here. Someone DM me, but not your keys, not your coins is great. But what, what are the equivalent phrases for all of the other things we do? Not your data, not your data. Doesn't sound particularly compelling, but that's the message I'm trying to convey here. If it isn't sitting on your server, if it, okay, not your chat, not your matrix instance, not your chat. Right, So your entire message history with someone, if it's sitting on a matrix server that you run on your personal server, that's fantastic. It's there forever and it's private. But if it's sitting on a telegram server somewhere else, it can just be wiped. It can even, even the server itself can be seized by the authorities and they can know your entire message history. Even with something like Signal, yes, it's, in, I don't know, like it's a, I don't know exactly my perspective on Signal, whether we can really trust the encryption or not. But the point no, is, no. Yeah, I mean, I want to say no, right? I want to say that we don't really know what, because we're using Signal servers, and there's open source software that allegedly runs on those servers, but we don't know if it actually does or not, right? So it's so, so superior an experience to run your own matrix instance and then chat on that. And we have these different models of the embassy where you can run small scale, and that's the Embassy One. I think we're calling it that. Matt might come up in a minute and clarify. But you have different levels of what you want to do. And we just released at Bitcoin 2022 the Embassy Pro, which allows you to do these things in what we call the Uncle Jim model, where you could have like um, 60 people all chatting with one another in a in a large community, which to me, so many people do. And uh, uh, um, thank God for Bitcoin conference, which ran just before Bitcoin 2022. We had a pastor up there saying that the average size of a church worldwide is about 60 people. And every single one of those has a, a bunch of people, like most of the, the, the people that attend that church in a telegram group or something like that. And these people all feel pretty persecuted at the moment. Christianity is not the most mainstream thing anymore. And I'm sitting there saying you will need to be inside a matrix instance hosted on an embassy two, sitting in your church somewhere. And then you're completely sovereign, right? No one can shut down your communications. And that's just one application, right? That's just chat. But what about the other things? What if you want to take donations? You can have a lightning node running. You can have Bitcoin running. And it can be done in a way that's verifiable by everyone in that church. This can be done for schools as well. It's 
egregious how schools are set up teaching people. I go full Richard Stallman here. Like schools are teaching kids to use applications that fundamentally cripple them. Like they're using, they're learning how to use Microsoft Excel or Microsoft Word, and all of these are just saying learn how to do things the way Microsoft says they have to be done. That's ridiculous. They should be learning how to use open source software, and they should be learning how to tie their own shoelaces, digitally speaking, anyway. And so to, to take it further, all of those applications are things that we offer. All of these useful things like um, uh, chat and social networking, and finance and cloud storage and password management, all of those things are things where we become really dependent on third parties. And Start9 comes along with the embassy, with Embassy OS, and finds a way to package up already existing great solutions for these things like Bitcoin. We didn't invent Bitcoin, right? But what we've done is we've made Bitcoin and Lightning something that everyone can use in the most self-sovereign way, man, in the most self-sovereign manner possible, that it becomes realistic as a widespread tool of freedom. It's really cool. I just think so, it's so cool we can do this stuff now, right? Yeah. And if there's a, we, we don't, we make the operating system, right? Second to that is all of the packaging that gets done. So if there's ever any applications that you think are shouting out that need to be on Embassy OS, it's on community members to package those things up. And people do all the time, and we can't prevent them from doing so. So, for example, people want to package up things like, um, well, they want to package up Monero. There's a lot of Monero fans. I'm not a Monero fan myself, but if you want to be able to run a Monero node and you want to use that, in the most self-sovereign way possible, you just package it up for embassy and it ends up in an alternative marketplace. Please, please so, what do you mean when you say packaging? What, 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 does that, what does that mean? I don't understand that term. So in order for something to work on embassy OS, it needs to be packaged up for the operating system. That's what I mean. Um, so when it comes to really essential applications like Bitcoin, like LND Lightning, like Core Lightning or C Lightning as it was formerly known, like Ride the Lightning, uh, like uh, Synapse, which is an implementation of the Matrix protocol, like uh, Vault Warden, which allows you to self-host your own Bitwarden, which is actually the most popular application on Embassy OS. Um, all of these things need to be made to work with Embassy OS in a way, in a manner where the user can just open up the marketplace, click on it, and then press install. And that's literally that simple. That's what packaging is. You can run any of these open source applications without packaging it exactly, but then it becomes complicated for the user again. And you're then you're losing the benefit of Embassy OS, and you might as well just be running a Linux server somewhere. The whole point of Embassy is everything becomes incredibly simple for the end user, but then the onus is on the, the people that maintain the, or the people that are interested in the application in question. The onus is on them to make it something that integrates with Embassy's uh, graphical interface. Will that take third-party apps or just the approved ones? Because I guess you guys must be like compiling and packaging them in the US, I guess. Yeah, well, th this is a this is a great point because, and it's something I really like to shout about. We don't control. We take we take every opportunity we have to not control what users do. We don't want to be a gatekeeper, so we have a Start Nine marketplace on Embassy OS. And those are applications that are completely bulletproof. Like we don't want anything in there that doesn't work seamlessly. We don't want anything in there that's buggy because there's good open source software out there, but that just is too buggy for people to be able to use realistically. 
So, but stuff that we still want out there anyway, and stuff that other people want. And I mean, Matt said it before, we, we believe very strongly in your freedom to run malware on your own machinery. We're just not going to put it in our marketplace, but we're not going to make it difficult for you to do. So the protocol for making your own alternative marketplace is easy to do. And we've got incredibly well-documented process for packaging up services that you want. So I use Monero as an example because we're a Bitcoin-only product. We're not about to sabotage that by sticking Monero in our marketplace. There's no interest, really, very little interest about that within our company. But the point is, if you're into Monero and you want to be able to run it on your own device, we've made it as simple as possible. You just need to make an alternative marketplace, package up Monero, and it will show up. You just go into the embassy tab on your embassy, click on marketplace, and then enter a different URL for the marketplace you're hosting instead. And you can share that with other people. People are very excited about alternative marketplaces. But as far as I know, none actually exist yet because the applications we offer on the Start9 marketplace are really good and they're what everyone naturally tends to want anyway. Um, but the point being, if we are limiting your choices in some fashion, it's a very, very artificial limitation. You can walk around it immediately. There's no problem. You can run whatever applications you want on there. And that's a Ubuntu-based normally, correct? It's a Linux backend with Ubuntu probably, I'm guessing? Um, uh, it's Raspberry, uh, Raspbian OS for the Embassy One and for Embassy Pro, uh, which is running on an Intel Nook made by Purism. It's going to be Pure OS at the bottom. Um, so I'll just take this opportunity to talk a little about the Embassy Pro, the product we released uh, in uh, at Bitcoin 2022. It is an Intel Nook. It's got 32 gig of RAM. It's 4.9 gigahertz processing. Uh, and my favorite thing about it is that it's made by Purism. For anyone who doesn't know, Purism is a, the company that made the first Linux phone. It was a phone where you could physically turn off the microphone and cameras with physical switches. They take privacy really seriously. They're big fans of us and we're big fans of them. Um, when we first got in touch, everything snowballed and they've now straight up partnered with us, which allows us to release this thing seriously cheaply. And and my favorite, personal favorite thing about it is that they've it runs on an Intel Nook, but they've prized out next to virtually every single thing that you wouldn't like about it being an Intel chip. They've taken the Intel management engine out of the, the Intel Nook itself to the point where it's completely redundant. And yes, you're using Intel, but it's it's reasonable to think of this device as completely your device. There's no backdooring in it that you need to be concerned about. And that's a huge thing for self-hosting because initially we can't offer that kind of promise on a Raspberry Pi. People do come to us and say, aren't Raspberry Pis backdoored? And it's not realistic for us to really counter that. And then we can make the claims we make about freeing you up from big data and things like that. But on the deep, pure level, if you want your device to be your device, you can do that with the Embassy Pro, which I'm just really excited about. Man, those NUCs are so cool. If anyone has never run their own server or microcomputers or had any of this type of stuff at home, what uh, police is talking about is something that we've used in like dozens and dozens of different applications for home and, and um, I guess you would call it traveling computers. Uh, I'm so excited to hear that you guys are using those and you've got to rid of that management system, which allows some of those um, more concerning issues as far as privacy. So that's so cool, dude. Now I got to get one. 
Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a cool product. We're really stoked about it. And the fact that we partnered with Purism to me is just like it's a dream come true. Honestly, I couldn't I couldn't be happier about it. Hey, police, from a from a, a golden retriever user's perspective, I was looking at the Embassy Pro and the um, and the products that it supports. I am a Bitwarden user, so that looked really nice. Um, and I was looking at the sync thing. I think I understand what's going on there. But from a user uh, uh, coming into this perspective, you know, currently I'm, I'm on an iOS device and, you know, I, I'm doing all the things that, that you were talking about. And, and, and I agree with you both that my, uh, my defeatism is really about the fear of the technology and, and the work that's got to go in to be able to understand this. And this looks like a really simple kind of way to um, uh, get around that, that hurdle for me. What I'm wondering is, is as I go into this thing, am I going to be using the services that I currently use on my phone and then kind of migrating some of that to, um, uh, to the NBC Pro? Or, or how does that look from kind of a, um, a less technical perspective from a user coming in and, and how they're going to manage the, the the services that they're currently using with their phone versus what they're going to do on the uh, on the Embassy Pro? Well, you're going to hopefully be able to replace the services that you're using on your phone where you're dependent on a third party. So a great example would be chat. Like uh, you're, you've presumably, like everyone else, got about seven chat apps installed like WhatsApp and Signal and Telegram and uh, iMessage or there's a whole bunch of things or even straight up text message, right? Every single one of those, you're depending on a third party. Um, there are protocols out there like the Matrix Protocol and Kutch where you can host your own chat and then everything rather than going from you to a Facebook server to your friend and then back again, regardless of whether that's end-to-end -end encrypted or not, you're still depending on them for the route it takes. Um, you want to be that uh, that point in the middle and your embassy can be that for you. And to take it further, these protocols that are designed beautifully by privacy advocates are not easy to run unless you have an embassy. It's as simple as that. So if you, Matrix is the most popular example, I think, in the wild of a self-hostable open source chat platform. They do host themselves. So if you want to jump on Element, and use Matrix, the protocol, you can just make an account on Matrix's servers. But again, that doesn't really, while it's better and it respects privacy a lot more than other platforms, it's still, you're still depending on a third party, but at least they make it possible for you to break that dependency completely. So what we've done is we've packaged it up and we've made it so that if you have an embassy, you can just one click install on Synapse and then you need to download Element, which is the application or one of the applications you can use on your phone or on your laptop, and then you just connect that with your server, with your embassy. And it's easy to do. You connect those things, and then you need someone else to connect to either their own matrix, or they can even use your matrix too. For example, if you want to chat to your, to your sister or something like that, or someone else in your household, a family member, you can Uncle Jim the whole thing, where you all make accounts on your self-hosted instance. And then you can chat to each other and all the chats are doing is just bouncing back and forth from your own personal server. So it never leaves the ecosystem built between you, your friends and family, anyone you share it with, and that one device that you own and completely control. So that's one example, that's chat. 
But then you oh, have no. other things like file sharing, right? Where you want to you want to be able to upload pictures. You mentioned sync, sync thing already. That's part of the whole cloud storage stack which we have. We have file browser, we have photo view, we have sync thing. Um, other applications I, that escape me right now. But what that means is you can just share photos, you can share data, you can share files, you can make lists that like shopping lists that you can just add stuff to that will automatically show up on other devices that are just yours, but also maybe your wife. Another thing where you want permissionlessness, you want privacy, you want security, all of those things. And you have password management's great. That tends to be just a personal thing, right? You're not looking to share that. But again, you can install, you already use Bitwarden, right? But you're always pinging messages back from your devices to and from Bitwarden's servers. Uh, but it's self hostable. It's just not easy to self host, right? So if you get an embassy and you install Vault Warden, which is um, the self hostable uh, thing we offer, you can connect all your Bitwarden applications, all your plug posted instance of Vault Warden, you're completely in your own ecosystem again. You're not reaching out to third parties in any sense, and you don't need to. Yeah, you broke up a little bit there at the end. Uh, can we go back to the chat for just a second? So, but if I want to chat, well, let's say somebody doesn't want to do this with me, they don't want to, they don't want to make an account on my server, I can continue to chat on on the uh, on the iMessage, if that's what I want to do, um, or I can go back. So I'm going to be able to do both at the same time. I'm not the same time, but I'm going to be do either or. Is that correct? Uh, you can do both at the same time. Like I, uh, if I'm understanding your question correctly, uh, I have Element on my phone, and about fifty percent of my communication is done uh, using Element with uh, a matrix server that's hosted just by Start Nine, right? So. Uh, when we're communicating internally in the company, we're all communicating through a server that we run that is our own internal ecosystem. But I still use Signal and Telegram to message a bunch of other people because they don't have it yet. So it's not like a, it's not something that you need to go all the way to. It's just something you can move towards and take progressive steps. Because I should mention this as well as a, as a more broad stroke point. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with self-hosting, and that's a good thing. Like uh, most people hopefully understand that if you want the kind of freedom that you get with self-hosting everything, like uh, if you want the kind of freedom that Bitcoin gives you, you need to be able to handle the responsibility of owning Bitcoin. And if you don't, if you don't respect that that's necessary, you will either lose your money in the hands of third parties or you will store Bitcoins insecurely. You will lose private keys or use crappy closed source wallets or things like that or there's a lot of responsibility that comes with freedom and uh, it's a double-edged sword. I always like to look at it as. So if you want to go down that path, it's not, thankfully, it's not a thing where you have to go all in immediately. You can literally just start with one application and go, okay, I want my password management to be done in-house. I want all my passwords to be stored on an instance of Bitwarden that I run. Simple as that. And I'm going to connect my phone and my laptop to it. So when I make a new password, which we do like five times a day because that's just reality now. Uh, it's going to save it to my Bitwarden instance. And then when I try and log into that site on my phone, it, the password is there right away. That's it. You don't need to go full hog. You don't need to now have chat and everything else and lightning channels and all this stuff. You don't need to do that immediately. You can just take progressive steps towards that. And bear in mind that 
uh, I really will take this opportunity to celebrate how good our support is and how present we are and how much uh, we are celebrated for it. Because there are other projects that do a similar thing to what we do, but the the support is so woeful that it it's actually lamentable because a lot of people will start down this journey of self-hosting and then run hit a block somewhere and then have no one to help them, which makes them give up, which is a really sad situation to see. And we're we're absolutely not accepting that. We're saying, if you want to start self-hosting, here's the device you need to do it, and here is the team that will help you with every little block you hit along the way, because it needs to be one. This is all super fantastic. Um, I'm going to get one of these things. I don't know about you guys. Um, the the Embassy Pro looks like it's got a, a, a little bit of a steep price tag. Is there, Are you guys going to offer like two versions, one that's not quite as expensive? Yeah, exactly. So we've got the Embassy One. Uh, pardon me, Matt. I don't know uh, if that's the final name we're going to give it. That's the product we've had for the last two years. It's a Raspberry Pi. Uh, it's uh, 450 with a one terabyte drive and 550 with a two terabyte drive. You're welcome to build them yourself. We will help you. You can just buy the OS. You can, of course, compile the OS yourself for free. All of this is necessarily open source. We're not expecting anyone to trust closed source um software it just wouldn't be appropriate for this at all um the embassy 2 uh while it is more expensive um it's uh, it's perfectly within the 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 price range of wow this is an absolute bargain and i i can back that up by saying it's an intel nook inside that if you were to buy it from purism direct would cost two grand we sell the embassy 2 for 1700 so even if you weren't interested in Embassy OS and you just wanted an Intel Nook, you'd be better off buying an Embassy from us than you would buying the hardware alone. And uh, I believe we have a discount. Uh, it, we're taking pre-orders for it at the moment, $42. And I think the, disc, uh, the, the $200 discount remains at the moment. So it should only be $14.99 rather than $16.99. Um, I think that, uh, that offer is still running. Um, if you want to take advantage, uh, then head to start9.com. Uh, apologies if that offer has been pulled. I'm not actually aware of it or not, whether that's the case or not. I'm on the site. It's still there. Nice. So, yeah, if you want to go and snag that, uh, it's available still. Um, we will be releasing it around fall, around September, October. Uh, that's when I expect it. Um, don't, don't be too angry if we miss that deadline. It's very hard to predict things about software development and all that stuff in this space. We've seen, I don't know anyone that said, hey, we're going to release, um, I don't know, Wasabi 2.0 soon. And it takes like a year and a half longer than expected. We have a lot of PTSD from when we released our latest major version, which is uh, Embassy 030. Uh, it took us a lot longer than expected. Uh, our community was very forgiving with us uh, and very excited once we released it, even though we took so much longer than we expected. But good things take time, and it's really, really hard to make predictions about this stuff. But I will say Embassy 2 should be around fall. Awesome. This is fantastic stuff. When you guys get closer to that, uh, Mechanic, I, I'd love to have you back. You're you're welcome here anytime uh, to, to talk about this. I think this is a fantastic product, and I think it's really great for the community. appreciate what you guys are doing. Peter, hey, Alex, just just so you know, um, I just went on. I just pre-ordered. It took me a total of 30 seconds to do. Really awesome. And we take Bitcoin as well for anyone listening. Out.
Outstanding. All right, uh, mechanic. We'll, we'll give you the final word. If there's any last things you want to say, uh, websites you want to name, or, or anything like that, and then we'll, we'll wrap the show. Thanks for having me, man. The final words would be um, just uh, to uh, reiterate what I was talking about with Good Guy before. Um, if you're feeling defeated, if you're feeling like, no, I do care about these things, I do care about privacy, I do care about self-sovereignty, but I'm overwhelmed, then this is precisely what uh, you need in your life because it will simplify those things and make you able to get what it is you want without you having to develop the skills necessary. So it's like you can have a firearm, you can engage in self-defense, but you don't need to know how to manufacture uh, a nuclear weapons system. You can use something that for the individual is the equivalent level of power and defense without needing to know how to manufacture it yourself. That's about all. That's the overarching point I'd love to make here. You've got power, you've got individual self-sovereignty, and it's just available at clicks of a button and for a, a, a very, very reasonable price. That's awesome. Really appreciate having you on here. Um, this has been a great discussion today. For those of you who are tweaked a little bit by the firearms comparison, just think of it like a super simple tool that anybody can use, like a shovel. Like if if firearms scare you, think of shovels or something less threatening. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can even say like we need to, like supposing people are going hungry because the only way to cook food or to catch food or to grow food is regulated by the state and inaccessible by everyone else. And whole groups of people just aren't allowed food because of their political opinions or because of their behavior or their speech or something they've done. And someone comes along with the technology and says, ah, wait, anyone can grow food now. Anyone can cook it. That would just be a universally good thing. The only people that wouldn't celebrate that would be like the kind of people, the Christine Lagarde's that get upset about money, where anyone can host their own money now. It's Bitcoin is freedom. It's financial freedom in a deep sense. And the only people that are upset about that are people that are used to controlling everyone else. So the only people, the, yeah, the only people that should be upset about Embassy OS are Google, Facebook, and a whole host of Microsoft. All these people, they have a right to be upset about Embassy OS if they like. But everyone else hopefully just sees it as a good thing. Fantastic. So if you're a tyrant, yeah, you know what to do. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. The place to get your morning news in Bitcoin. We get some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. Come hang out here on the regular. Just talk about what's going on. You're welcome. Anytime you want to be here, it's a great place to learn. It's also a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin a follow to be notified of when those drop. You're new to this room, never been here before. You are always welcome to just come hang out and learn. We talk about Bitcoin from the ground up, all the really, really basic stuff up to macro, what's going on with prices, what's going on with the technology, obviously cover really important privacy tools, such as what Mechanic has been sharing with us today. Love you guys, man. Really appreciate what you do. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, my crew, Aunt Shane Sats for Life, producer Jacob Pope. Thanks to the speakers, again, for being here, like spending your personal time helping to educate people and teach them about Bitcoin. I really admire you guys. 
really appreciate appreciate when you guys stop in like that. My name is Alex Danzik. I am your host. I work with Swan Bitcoin in the Swan Private Division. If you're interested in learning about Swan Private, shoot me a DM. If you're interested in learning about Swan, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. And then finally, get on the mission, guys. What is the mission? The mission consists of helping people understand ways of protecting themselves, both with Bitcoin and with tools like Mechanic is sharing today. Like this is the future. This is the peaceful path forward, guys. And it's super important because if we do not make this a thing globally, all of these little devices, like what Mechanic is sharing, needs to be as common as microwaves. Everybody needs these things. Nodes in every single house. We've got 7 billion people to orange pill. Let's get busy. That's the mission. Love all of you guys. Everybody go out there today. Have a great day and crush it.